Hello, money makers and money savers. Welcome to the interview series, The Business of Business. I'm your host, Dustin Dubé, and this is Finance Fundamentals, the show where we learn how to stop working so hard for our money and learn how to make it work harder for you. This podcast is entirely based on my experiences and thoughts. I am not a financial advisor, and the thoughts and expressions you hear on this show are my own and are not reflective of my employers, past or present, nor my guests. I am not liable for investments that you make or strategies that you implement upon listening to my show. Now, back to the show. Hey friends, welcome back to Finance Fundamentals. This is the interview series, The Business of Business, where I interview unique industry experts and business owners to motivate, educate, and help you to chase your craft. This is the wedding series. It is incredibly important to choose vendors you like and companies that you resonate with when you are planning your wedding. This is the third of the wedding series. Today I have Lindsay Appleby. Lindsay does amazing portraits of engagement rings, wedding rings, venues, and a variety of other things around the wedding industry. Please check out her website and her Instagram, Two Cats on a Brush. I'll actually be posting a portrait of my ring as well as my fiance's ring. Actually, if you're listening to this, it should be wife by now uh, of her ring as well. And that will be on my Instagram for you to check out. I purchased that for her recently and it is an amazing gift. Thanks for joining me. Welcome back to Finance Fundamentals. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining me at Finance Fundamentals Podcast. This is the business of business. And today I have Lindsay Appleby, unique business that I I really adore and love. I actually bought my fiance a gift from here. It seems like a really long time ago now. And she does custom wedding portraits. And with that, she will do, I know rings is kind of the, the bread and butter, but there's a lot of other things that she's got going on that I want to talk about as well. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. So I've said it on the podcast before, and it is something that's become a very big part of my life is, you know, wedding planning. We're one of those COVID couples. And so we have seen a lot. We've dealt with a lot of different vendors and we are learning and understanding the industry better. And I'm still discovering more. And I discovered you through mutual friends and I love your business. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about Two Cats and a Brush? Yeah. So I started Two Cats and a Brush a couple of years ago, and actually it was a pet painting business originally, which is kind of why the name is like more pet related than wedding related. But what ended up happening was there's a huge market for pet paintings, which like sounds silly, but like there's tons of them like on Etsy and all that stuff. So it's really oversaturated. And I was doing like, okay, but it wasn't like, you know, like around Christmas, I'd have friends order from me and that was kind of it. And then around this time last year, I painted my own engagement ring just for fun. I just wanted to kind of see what it looked like. Um, I have a pretty unique engagement ring and I posted it on Instagram and the ring designer who designed my ring has like 200,000 followers. She reposted it and I got like 20 people messaging me in a day asking me to paint their rings. And it kind of just took off from there. And I actually just finished my 107th ring today. Mm -hmm. 
So congratulations. And that's just yeah. brings it's kind of grown to like even more too, which is pretty nuts. So yeah, that, that's like pretty exciting. I know that I ordered ring portraits of both mine and my fiance's ring. And I think that what you do is super unique. What I want to hear about is before we get into it, you know, what was your background growing up? Were you artistic? Did you kind of go to school with the intention of doing this full time? You know, what kind of led you to this point? Because this is a very unique path that you've taken. Yeah, it is strange. <laughs> I guess I'll start first with like, not that this is my real job, but like currently this is like my side gig, my real job. I'm a middle school art teacher right now um, in Massachusetts. So if you would have told me when I was growing up though, that I was going to be a teacher or an art teacher, I would have probably laughed at you. I did band and orchestra. So when I was like growing up, that was kind of my thing. I played the oboe and because I was in so much band, it like, that was my fine arts credit. So I actually didn't take any art and until my junior year of high school. I took it. I like really liked it. Ended up kind of going photography. And then my senior year, I had a photograph that got like made it all the way to state in a competition. So I decided to go to college for photography. It was kind of like a really fast turnaround. My parents are awesome. They supported me. Photography runs on my dad's side of the family. His grandmother and grandfather were both professional photographers. And then my great-great-grandfather back in the 1800s was a traveling photographer in Canada and Maine. Wow. Which is like pretty cool. So went to school at University of Arizona for photography. They're pretty good like public photo program, which is what I was looking to do. And I did that there. I had to take like other art courses, but really my main focus was photography until I got to my senior year of college. And I was like, what am I going to do with a photo degree? Especially now, like by the time we started college and then ended college in 2014, digital cameras on phones were getting to be really big. And when we started, it wasn't. And I kind of feel like photography has become this thing that there's less professionals doing it now and more amateurs doing it. So I kind of was like, I got to figure out what else I'm going to do with my life. I took a class teaching to like study art education, just like on a whim, watched a sixth grade class for a couple of weeks, loved it and immediately applied to Tufts for grad school for art education, went and did my master's there and I've been teaching art, middle school art ever since. And then I like kind of started getting into painting on the side and photography's kind of fallen on the wayside, which is just so funny. You know, I feel like you never really do what your degree. Well, I guess you're doing what your degree's in, but I'm not doing well, my degree's in. <laughs> sort of. Actually, my, my undergrad's in accounting, so I don't really do what I what I studied. But I think that it, it's funny. I have had, you're probably like my 15th interview so far. I'm not releasing them in the order that I do that. Right. I've got, got ideas of series and everything. But it is interesting how few people actually do what they go to school for because we're asking 17, 18-year-old kids to make up their mind for what they want to do for the rest of their life. It's just, it's not logical to know that. And it's it's interesting, though, you are still in the world of art. You know, you didn't completely step out of that. So did you grow up in New England? No, I'm actually from Texas. Okay, wow. Interesting. So I've got like a whole like, that's another whole like, deba not debacle, but like trying to explain like where I'm from. So yeah, I was born and raised outside of Dallas, Texas, went to college in Arizona, and then moved up here. And I knew I wanted to stay my dad's whole side of his family is from Maine and Rhode Island. So Ooh, Maine. Are you from Maine? I am from Maine. Yeah. Where are you from in Maine? <laughs> uh, as far north as you can possibly go. Uh, it's called Fort Kent. Okay. Uh, we have a place on Moosehead Lake. Oh, so okay. Also pretty far north. It is, but we're way far yeah. north. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I always see you guys like up on like when you're out there looking at the the weather. You can like see it like, you know, like on the little news map. Fun fact, and this could be fun for the listeners too. The most northeastern town in the United States is Madawaska, Maine. It's actually one of the four corners for people that go and do the four corners on like a motorcycle or in their car. And there's like a, a club that you can join. That's 15, 20 minutes from my hometown. So I actually could see Canada from my bedroom window. So that's so crazy. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a very different 
spent a lot of time in Canada growing up and everything. So, okay. So back to the business, we, we get into teaching. How long did you teach until, or were you always doing something on the side or or how long did it take you to kind of start Um, thinking about this? I was doing photography on the side at the beginning. I think as a teacher, you kind of have to always be doing something on the side. Yeah. I'm getting better now with salary, but starting out, it's definitely like, you know, speaking of things, I was just listening to one of your episodes on like pensions and retirement funds and everything. And I lose 13% of every paycheck, not lose, but it goes into a, you know, a retirement fund. So I kind of have to make up for that in other ways. And I'll see that money later on in life, but it really cuts into your paycheck. So I was kind of always doing something on the side. And really the first thing was I started, I was doing those pet portraits. I did them as a gift in like, I don't know, 2016 for some family members. And then again, it's just like social media, somebody sees it, a friend of mine wants to buy one and it kind of just like rolls from there. So yeah, it's been like a painting thing on the side for a while. So you, you painted your ring just as I'm assuming just on a whim, right? You just wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Post it. You get a ton of people hitting you up. Yep. Did you decide the next day I'm turning this into a business or was it, eh, we'll try it. We'll do a couple and see how this goes. Yeah. I was kind of like, we'll try it and see how it goes. I, I did know it was going to be, well, I didn't know how lucrative it was going to be. I did know early on that people were willing to spend a lot of money. My prices have gone up since I started at the beginning. It was kind of like, all right, let's see how many different styles of rings I can kind of get under my belt and see how yeah. this goes. It's funny to look back at my first paintings compared to what I'm doing now. And even though it's only been a year, I gave one to my sister-in-law and I like want to redo it now. She was like one of the first ones I did. And I like not happy with how it looked. It's just so funny, but yeah. So it just kind of like turned into a thing and I didn't know, but I'd already had my Instagram set up for my pet portrait business. So I kind of like posted it on there. And it's like grown from there. It was like, I already had the infrastructure in place, which was nice, but I didn't have a website. So I I ended up building a website like two weeks after I painted my own. I like made a website and, you know, started sharing on bride groups on Facebook. And it really picked up after that. So, yeah, I was going to ask, you know, have you done all organic marketing? It's kind of been a mix. Instagram does ask you every so often, like, do you want to promote this? And I have actually have two promotions running right now. I'll like, I don't know, every two or three months, I'll like throw in 20 bucks to Instagram to try to get some more followers. But yeah, that's pretty much it for advertising. I'm like listed on Google now, stuff like that. But I'm really trying to like rely on, I really got most big influx of orders from Heidi Gibson designs is where I got my ring from. And she's like really the person who kind of got me going. She's posted three of my paintings. And every time it's like, I get tons of new followers and orders from her. So yeah. Yeah. I think that sometimes the organic growth is all it takes is one person. You know, I yeah. know that there's a lot of negatives to social media, but the positives are the networking and the the environment, right? You know, even with, with my show, I had somebody post something the other day and I got 15 new followers and you know, the next hour. So it, it, it it's slow in the beginning, yeah. but all it takes is a couple of, of big shares and that tends to grow the environment. With the business, when you started out, I mean, first off, I know that from somebody who's bought an engagement ring, there are 500 different styles and right. I was totally blown away. <laughs> but when you started out, did you kind of, were you restrictive in the beginning before you decided to kind of open it up? And and did you just kind of take on every challenge? I pretty much took on every challenge. Yeah. I, I painted a lot of different ones at the beginning. It's also funny how much I've learned about engagement rings in the process. I really didn't know much because the ring that I have that I've been engaged for, we're a COVID couple too. So we've been engaged for like a year and a half now. I had this ring picked out like before I met my fiance. I like knew <laughs> okay. that this was the ring I wanted. I love the designer. So I didn't know much about engagement rings and it's been like a process too, seeing and painting all the different ones. Some are a lot harder than others, but I actually find I enjoy painting the more difficult ones than the simpler solitaires. I tend to find that they look, the smaller details tend to look cooler with the watercolor that I paint. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know from, from ours, even I see, you know, 
know, you do men's rings, my rings a little bit more interesting and unique. And I think that with women's rings, I mean, obviously there's a lot of detail that goes into that. So if you're painting a more difficult ring, do you tend to charge more or do you more or less charge by the size of the portrait? So at the beginning, it was just the size of the portrait. And I would say about six months ago, I decided, you know, just a standard solitaire ring on a plain band doesn't take me as long as these, you know, crazy, like the Heidi Gibson ones that I do like my own. So I charge not only by size now, but I also charge by, I like solitaire intricate and you can add the wedding bands onto it. And the men's are always the cheapest because most of them are fairly simple bands. Although I have gotten some pretty cool ones. I get a lot less men's rings than women's, but I've I've seen some pretty cool men's rings over the, the past year too, that I'm like blown away that I didn't even know. One of them had like an engraving of like a hunting scene in it. That was really cool. There was a guy that was a hunter. Another one had like old with was it was yours right with the whiskey yeah. girl and the, yeah. yeah okay never mind. i was like gonna like brag about, brag about your right <laughs> <laughs> yeah but mine has i, I mean for those that will re- listen to, I have a, an interview with Rustic in Maine, who I purchased the ring from. They're actually based out of Huntersville, North Carolina. It's yeah, 20, 25 minutes north of Charlotte. And it's made out of, my ring particularly, is made out of whiskey barrel, elk antlers, rolls, gold inlays. But they make them out of old hunting rifles. They make them out of World War II warships. I mean, they have so many cool things that they're doing because they want to start conversations about men's rings. And it's, it's funny, they said that they actually have some men that get more comments than their wives do and you know it's 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 funny how they're changing the game a little bit i actually showed them your portraits so it is exciting that you're doing something really unique so you have the idea you clearly have some interest you're posting on these various facebook groups you obviously word of mouth i've told probably 50 people that i know about you and so that helps but how do you figure out what you need to do, right? So obviously there's the time, there's the materials, there's shipping, there's setting up your website. There Are you an LLC, I believe you said? Yeah, I just registered two months ago as an LLC. So there's a lot to figure out, right? And yeah. is it spending hours on Google and asking small business owners or you know, reading articles about how to appropriately scale this and figure out the, the pieces to it? Or was it every week's a new challenge and you just kind of figure it out as you go? I think it's kind of a mix of both. It has been a lot of Googling. I was on Etsy before I branched out into my own LLC and selling through my own website. So most of my sales I did in 2020 were all through Etsy, which Etsy is great for that kind of small starting out. And I think I got my like foot in the door with Etsy, but now that I have my own website, it's kind of been a different game changer, but I somehow, even though I'm like a very artistic the people I surround myself are all business majors. So my best friend from high school, she went to school for marketing. So and consulting, she's a consultant now. So like I talk to her a lot about like different things. Another friend of mine from high school is an accountant. And then my really close cousin is an accountant as well. So I'm like always talking to them about like, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I register? Of course, I live in Massachusetts. And so that state's a whole other different situation from the rest of the US when it comes to taxes and everything. So when I was registering as an LLC, I ended up calling, I like paid a couple hours to talk to a lawyer here in Massachusetts to talk about like law regarding registering as an an LLC. And do I qualify to register in another state versus being in Massachusetts? And yeah, I think they need to teach business (laughs) for a lot more majors than um, just business majors. I think that there's a, hence why I started the podcast, there's a strong need for financial literacy. And I think that unfortunately, universities tend to offer us a variety of electives, but they don't force a couple of life skills that are very necessary, you know, because people that study photography, for example, possibly will go on to run their own businesses and need to know how to 
set up a website and and ship product and you know work with individual state taxes and there's a lot of different facets there when it came to talking to the lawyer and everything that's very valuable i'm sure you got a lot out of that registering for the llc can you talk a little bit about that process for those that may not know how that works yeah it was pretty crazy so i was looking into it and like i don't know i'm sure i don't know if people know but like massachusetts is known as like tax and i don't mind living here like i think it's fine but i was you know when i'm going to register as an llc it's five hundred dollars to apply and then it's five hundred dollars yearly after that to keep your LLC, which is insane. So when I called the lawyer and she was based in Boston, but I was just talking to her, I was like, can I register in another state? You know, like, I feel like Delaware has this reputation of where everybody registers their business because it's cheap taxes, et cetera, et cetera. So we talked about some options and because I'm not selling physical product in Massachusetts, most of my stuff ships, I actually do most of my selling to California and Texas, which is kind of funny, but I could register anywhere. So I ended up registering in Wyoming, Hmm. which was only, it was like 80 bucks to set up my LLC. And then there's no annual fee after that. So I actually have like a, like a PO box out there and somebody like opens my mail for me and everything out there. And they'll like help me put together my, see, I'm like worried about 2021 taxes already. But that's going to be like a whole other thing because you know, now I'm going to be filing separately as a business rather than on my own. Last year's taxes were easy. I just did those and that was good because I could, it was still like a sole proprietorship at that point. So I could file everything under my own. Yeah. When it came to web design, did you know how to set up a website? Was that something you dabbled in before? Or did you just... Yeah, I kind of dabbled in it. I When I was in grad school, they made us all make websites for like when you apply yeah. for a job. I, I don't know who looks at teacher... Like mine's still up somewhere. It's a terrible like 24 teacher website. Like these are my goals as a teacher. I'm going um, I'm, I'm to try to find that. <laughs> oh um, so I, I ended up using Squarespace. Okay. And it was really simple. I mean, it costs a little more, but I think my website looks pretty, although I am running into a problem with them now. They don't calculate taxes for states. It's like, Mm. I have to like calculate my own. It's very concerned about taxes this year. So I might be switching over to Shopify. That's like my new thing. I just have to get a fire under my butt to go do it because it's going to take a lot to switch all my stuff over. But I, yeah. So yeah, I feel like I'm pretty good with visually. I'm pretty good at that kind of stuff. So I found the website thing pretty easy, which was good, but I'm sure some people struggle with it, but luckily Squarespace has so many like templates you can use if you need to. Yeah. I I mean, I'm in the process of setting up a website too, and it's, there's a lot of different templates and there's a lot of different things and it's it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. No. It's, it's a lot to think about. So I, I feel the pain. Okay. So you talked about how you sell a lot to California and Texas. Yeah. How many states have you sold to and have you sold outside of the U.S.? Oh my God, I don't know how many states I've sold to. I've sold to a lot. I have sold out of the US. I've sent one to Canada. I've sent two to Australia, one to England, and one to the Netherlands. Wow. Okay. How um, how are they finding you? I have no idea. Instagram. My first one, I the first international one I ever did was to a girl in Australia. And the shipping's really expensive. So we just like, she just paid for client or, you know, the brides that are ordering, they pay for shipping. So we did that and we just did the cheapest shipping and it actually ended up getting lost in the mail six or seven weeks. We like didn't know where it was. There was like no tracking. It finally showed up and it was wrinkled and like a mess and she ironed it. She like put it in between some other pieces of paper and ironed it. It looked, and it looks fine now. It's crazy. But yeah, now if I ship internationally, I make people pay, like we, we like agree to pay on a tracking thing just because it's yeah. so scary. Cause they're, I mean, people are paying a couple hundred bucks for this until like have it get lost somewhere like over the Pacific Ocean is probably not great. Yeah, yeah, I, I can totally <laughs> empathize. I can only imagine. There's probably not a ton of competition. How did you come up with pricing and how did you come up with, you know, different features that you want to offer? 
It's literally, I'm learning on the fly. I have found a couple other people that are doing it. Someone just on Instagram, another girl who does digital versions of this, like found me and she like started following me. So it's like, it's always interesting to see like the different approaches. I think it is going to get bigger, which makes me happy, but also nervous for my own business. I'm like worried about competition, but right now it is fairly small in terms of competition, but I, it has been like a lot learning on the fly of how much do I charge? How do you know? And it really is playing. Okay. If I make it this much, like how many people will buy it versus in my own personal philosophy. And you know, this might change on the road, but I would rather charge a little less and like get a couple extra orders right now, rather than charge too much and not get any, if that right. kind of makes sense. So it's, it's like a very, cause I don't want to undersell myself, but I also don't want to like make it too unaffordable that the average person can't buy it. Cause I think it is a really special thing. I get so many grooms that give it to their, you know, their wife on their wedding day or like for anniversary gifts or bridesmaids will like all pull in and give it to the bride. I think it is like a really special, unique gift that you don't see a lot. So I like want it to be accessible, but also some of them do take me like 10 to 15 hours, depending on, you know, size and intricacy. So yeah. And, and Shipping without the frame, I think, makes sense. I know when I had contacted you, you said, oh, I ship without the frame. And I was like, oh, I guess that, you know, that's interesting. But when you think about the shipping on a, a, a you yeah. know, 20 pound frame or something that's you're adding significant cost to well, that. Well, I also feel like for the customer, a lot of these things I think about, like for the customer, it's going to be cheaper in the long run to just go out and get your own. I always know, like when I would order photographs online of mine to be printed and they're like, it gives you an option to frame. It's like a hundred extra bucks for a frame. And I'm like, I could go to Michael's and get a frame 20, $30. It's like yeah. the same frame. And it's just, I, uh, maybe one day I'll offer it, but I just think like shipping glass seems like such a nightmare to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't want to get into it. And then you'd have to worry about it breaking on the on the way and different different things. So I think that makes sense. Okay, so obviously you do more than rings. Rings yep. is kind of the focus now. It used to be pets. I know you don't do the pets anymore. Nope. You've said got into venues, bouquets, invitations. I'm assuming that was a natural progression just from being in the industry. Yeah. So I'm trying to think who the first venue was that I got. I got it. Somebody asked me to paint their venue just like on the fly. They're like, do you ever do like commissions? And I was like, yeah, why not? So I like did a venue. Oh, I know what it was. One, one of my good friends, that one of the accountants that lives in Georgia that I was talking about earlier, she's getting married in Atlanta or outside of Atlanta. And she wanted me to paint her venue for her invitations. So I just watercolor painted, like she gave me some style ideas. I posted that and like more people have ordered it. I, the venue thing is definitely like a lot smaller. There's not as much interest in it right now as the rings. I think venues kind of fall under like real estate painting. And I, I if you ever like go and search on Etsy, you're going to see tons of people that paint houses that are far more talented at painting houses than I am. But it is fun to have that. And then I actually don't paint the bouquet um, paintings. My good friend from best friend from college um, and my maid of honor, who also has like no background in art. It's so funny. She's a therapist in Colorado. She does beautiful watercolor paintings of flowers on the side. And I was like, you know, we should give this a try. Someone asked me to do it. I kind of punted the idea to her. And I was like, do you want to, you know, I've got too many orders. Do you want to try this out? And that's caught on. She's done. She, we started that in like January and she's probably painted 15 bouquets already, which is pretty good. So I think that's going to catch on too. Although I have found market wise, there are a lot more people painting bouquets than there are rings to Google these things. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense. You got to keep track of your competition. When you talk about metrics for, you know, rings being kind of the largest, yeah. How do, you, do you have some tool that you're utilizing or you just kind of keep track of it internally for how many you're doing and kind of figuring out your, your obviously there's a, some cost, right? You know, it's materials and setup and whatnot, but most of it's just your labor, your time. Right. But as far as landed costs and sending these out, you have some type of tracking tool or are you just kind of tracking it on a spreadsheet or how you, so how do you keep track of your, your revenue? You sound like such a business major. With <laughs> um, Excel scares the 
living bejesus out of me. I don't understand how you use they sell it all. But I, yeah, so I have, I have like a sticky note on my desktop. I don't know if you have a Mac or a PC, but like on Mac, you can have like stickies. Yeah. So I always have like a running list there of like which orders I've done and like what it's going to be. But then I have my website, which people can order through and Squarespace keeps track of it. They have like a whole commerce app that I can have on my phone that shows when the orders came in and what all that is. And then same thing with Etsy. It's like, it'll tell you, Hey, you need to ship by this date. And it kind of keeps me on my toes. That's pretty much how I keep track of it that way. So, but although I will say I'm doing it less now but when I first started I was just taking orders over like PayPal business people were messaging me on Instagram and I I was just having them like paying to PayPal business and taking the money that way which that's kind of I think why I have the running sticky note I bought a, a whiteboard it's like in my studio right now I try to write down orders I don't think I've written a single thing down on it I like <laughs> need to have it on the go you know oh and I mean obviously you're moving around a lot you're kind of not always home. So yeah. it's nice to have it in, a, in an accessible place. How many ring portraits can you do in a month, a year? Well, it's been just about, it's just under a year now. And I've done, so the way that I keep track of rings that I painted, when I, the ones I post on Instagram, I do mock-ups of them. So like, I'm pretty good at Photoshop. So if you go to my Instagram, if I post customer photos, those are the real ones. But usually like, I don't, I don't go out and buy separate frames for everything. So I like digitally put the picture, like the rings into frames to post online. And like, I buy, I like the different files you can insert them in so when I save them I like you know I number as they go but I was just thinking the other day I actually think I painted more because sometimes like when I did yours and Jen's it's like one file but like it's both your rings on one picture so like I yeah. did like the side by side so I've probably painted I don't know closer to 120 rings wow. in under a year which is it seems like a lot not a lot at the same time <laughs> It's a, it's a side hustle that's turning into a, a pretty, pretty significant part of your, your time. Yeah. I will say I'm like on like a dip right now. I don't have a whole, which is good because I'm getting into wedding season for myself. So we have eight weddings to go to this year, which is just going to be yep. fun, but also a nightmare within itself. But my busiest was Christmas. I, we didn't talk about this. I, um, I added you and you ordered one of these too. That's I right, added yeah. ornaments and I think that was the smartest and stupidest thing I could have done. <laughs> I think my fiance really thought that I wasn't going to get the, or I mean, I, did I have to reach out to you and tell you that I was going to have to wait? to like give it to you like to send it to you late and so something happened where you did not like the oh no did... okay yours is something different okay oh, yeah. so, that was something else. I, so that was a learning on the fly thing so I, I ordered all these ornaments because I, I made I you know I, I put a poll up on Instagram and I was like would anybody buy ornament paintings which is acrylic paint rather than watercolor and I actually have more experience in acrylic paint anyways but then I had to figure out like how do I get the ring on there how do I like you know because I you normally draw them out in pencil so it's like how do I draw on like a shiny ornament and then how do I get it, you know, so the paint doesn't scrape off. It's been like a whole thing. So yours, I went to spray it with like sealant over it and the sealant bubbled. Yours was like one of the first ones uh, I sprayed. Yeah. So then I had to wrap it, redo the whole thing. It's just like, it was like the ornaments ended up taking so much more time, but I, I probably had like, I probably did 50 of them. And I had to reach out after the first 20 of the people and be like, Hey, I'm more than happy to give you like money off your next one, but I, I'm not going to be able to get these done before Christmas because I, you know, I accepted too many orders and I did not have a single person tell me they didn't want it. Every single person said it was fine after Christmas, which to me, I guess means I really hit the nail on the head with idea wise. Okay. So I, I also think here you're working in a space that's sentimental, emotional. Yep. People have a, an attachment to this. It's not like I ordered a Disney World ornament because my cousin was going to Disney World and it's like, oh, well, it can't come in. I want my refund. This is unique, one of a kind. And I think people can respect and understand the time that goes into this. And yeah. obviously it's, it's not something you made on a plant. 
you are physically sitting down and doing all of these. So, you know, good for your customers for being understanding. I'm sure that won't always be the case, but for the most part, I think people can be pretty respectful of, you know, supporting a small business that's doing something that's really not done elsewhere. Yeah. And I haven't really had, I I truly haven't had a single negative interaction with anybody. And I'm not just saying that because I'm like being recorded right now, but (laughs) everybody's been so positive. I get so many amazing, I've I've had so many people, you know, message me that, oh, so-and-so cried when they opened it. It was like so perfect, things like that. So it's been really cool to kind of, I love weddings. I like love like that whole thing. So it's been fun to kind of like work in that even more and really surround myself with pretty diamonds all day. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So had a pretty solid first year. Yep. What's the plans going forward? I have no idea. I'm going to keep doing it. Last summer was the first time. So normally as a teacher, I work in the summer. I used to like work in like a summer camp. And I mean, obviously COVID happened last summer, but I, and so I wasn't going to work anyways, but I made enough money last summer that it was okay that I didn't work. And I think actually like moving forward, I'm not going to have to work in the summers anymore because I am making enough money to sustain. I was in contact with one jeweler and they wanted to hire me to paint this was crazy. They wanted 200 ring paintings for me, but the deadline was too short and they didn't, it wasn't going to be, they didn't want to pay me as much money as I wanted. So that kind of fell through, but my goal is to eventually partner with jewelers. So there's a woman downtown Boston, uh, Boston jewelry company that she saw my stuff online. She reached out to me and I've done a couple of paintings for her and she wants me, she wants to start using me like with her bigger clients. She wants to give them like personalized paintings of her rings when they, they buy the more expensive ones. So yeah, in goal is to like partner with a jeweler or a couple jewelers and kind of like have that kind of thing. But I don't, this is where my, my inexperience comes in. I don't know how to make that happen. I've been reaching out to smaller local jewelers on Instagram, offering a free painting and in exchange for advertising or like asking for partnerships. But you know, it's basically like cold calling. It's humbling and awkward at the same time, you know? You need to get a, a Neil Lane or somebody to- Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So is is the hope that one day maybe this can move from a side hustle to a full-time <laughs> hustle? I don't know. I like go back and forth on that. Like that, my cousin that I was talking about earlier, she's constantly like texting me like, oh, you're gonna make this your full-time job one day. And I'm like, I love my job teaching art. So I don't know if I could give that up, but it would be kind of cool. I don't know. I think I decided after COVID being locked in my house for so long, I don't think I could, I don't think I could do it. Like, you know, just sitting at my house painting all the time, but if it could be sustainable, like I think it'd be great when I'm raising kids to be able to do this as like my main job when I've got kids. So we'll see. I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. I'm hoping it keeps going up, but you know, when I have like months with months with less orders, I get start getting nervous. That, all right. I had my little run. That's it. It's not going. I mean, I have to think the wedding industry will probably not die in our lifetime, possibly never. And I think that if you can partner with a couple of jewelers, it'll keep you active and busy and you'll probably get to go to events and do different things. And I think the really cool thing about this is you're doing something super unique and the word of mouth is super powerful. Yeah, I I see behind you right now, you've got a a couple of portraits on the wall and not many people have that in their home. And I, you know, we've got ours. It's actually, it's on your website. I saw, and that (laughs) is something that people comment on and people say, oh, wow, where did you get that? And it's a conversation piece and it also has sentimental value. So I think that you'll, you'll be busy. You know, obviously it's up to you how, how big this goes. And there's a lot of external factors as well. I, I, I hope you know, if people can find you and, and it grows. All right. So this is a part of my show where I like to play a little game. It's oh God, called, okay. <laughs> it's called bullish or bearish. So bullish means you are very positive on something. You have a great feeling about it. Bearish means you kind of have a negative feeling about it. You're not real comfortable with it. And neutral is like, Hey, look, I don't know enough about it. It's not my game. I'll, I'll stay neutral. And I try to cater these to the interviewee. So okay. th- hopefully these will be a little bit more up your alley. All right. So this is one that I want to talk to you about. 
art education in schools. So I know a lot of schools have had to make cuts financially. I know, I mean, when I was in school, I definitely had a lot of options. I don't know if my school still has all of those options, but even then I know the options weren't as great as when my parents were in school, for example. Do you think those schools are going to have communities rally around them and invest in music, photography, painting, drawing, different types of arts? Or is it going to kind of stay status quo? And unfortunately, it's the first thing that gets cut. So I think it kind of, there's a lot of moving points, parts to this. I could like host my own podcast, like what my opinions of art education is. I think it varies by community. I find richer communities are more in support of the arts than like blue collar communities. And then poor like inner city urban communities are also very big into the arts because it tends to be something extracurricular that is enjoyable that's like you know better than just going to school so it's kind of like in between I Massachusetts has a great art education program it's the reason why I wanted to move up here I think it's going to stay the school that I teach in right now we have three art teachers in one middle school which is just insane to think about we have one for each grade which is just great but Arizona, where I went to college and I thought about going back to teach in a couple of years ago, they pulled all funding from public K to 12 art for all their public schools, which just blows my mind. As far as the next year goes, I'm curious where this is going to go. We're kind of doing kind of like the same thing after uh, not necessarily the Great Depression, but I feel like it's kind of like linked in with COVID. There's been a lot of non-expression happening so i'm curious like what this big boom like if you think about the prohibition era and like what came after that with like the jazz age and all that like this big boom of stuff that was right after the spanish flu we were just talking about this at work last week i'm curious what is going to explode after covid i think i think there could be a big push for the arts coming up i'm hoping i'm hoping so you would say you are bullish yes bullish okay okay. sorry that was a long answer no no that's perfect that's what i want with the arts i think it's funny because When it comes down to it, people say, ah, we can't afford this, can't afford that, but we can add up 20 extra players on the football team. And sometimes our values can be a little skewed, Uh but then we look at our, you know, our, our lives, right? Our entertainment. How many nights a week do you sit down and watch something on Netflix or do you listen to Spotify or all of these people are partaking in the arts that we are cutting in our communities? So mull on that for a minute and and it's it's interesting because we oftentimes want to see our kids do you know i don't have children but just speaking generally (laughs) i see kids do extracurriculars and do things in the community and then we tend to cut the things that they need to do and i think it's interesting you brought up inner cities and low income because there are there is a big push for for music and art and i think sometimes it's also viewed as a way out and an opportunity to do something different and tends to be an an avenue to keep kids busy and out of trouble too yeah no so i would agree completely and i think I think that's why art's big there. And then I think art is big in like richer, you know, I'm thinking of like, you know, bigger white suburban areas because it is seen as like a way to get my kid into college, not a way to get into college, but it looks good in your college application to be doing like music and art. And, you know, I, I came from a very wealthy suburb in Texas with a great school system that really supported the sports, but also like right after I left, they built a whole new building just for the art. So there's like a building for my high school that like hosts just the art rooms, which is insane to me. So, cause you were saying how like, you know, like we'll cut funding for this and put it into other things. It is a big balance and it frustrates me too that then we start pitting the arts against each other. So like music gets pitted against visual arts and then like theater arts and like, it's like, you have to like, it's this constant rotating thing that I don't think it's enough credit. And I think because it's not your traditional math, science, history type thing, it's just something that people don't, well, and to add on to, this is something else I get a lot too. A lot of teachers in my school will say to me, you know, like, oh my God, I'm terrible at art. I think so much of it has to do with the mindset. People think they're bad at it. And it's not that they're bad at art. It's just that they're born uninterested in it for the same reason that I don't, do you play any sports or anything? 
Yeah. So like, what do you play? Soccer, skiing, golf. So like soccer and skiing, right? Like you're, it's not that you're like inherently better at me than those things. You're just interested in them. And then like, that's what you do in your spare time. Whereas I paint in my spare time. So obviously I'm going to be quote unquote good at art, but I truly don't believe people are born inherently better at anything. I think it's just an interest thing. And then you practice and foster and that's how you became like insane at something, you know? Yeah. I think that's a good perspective on things because was never artistically inclined, but it was not really something that I, I didn't grow up in a family that was super artistic. I, my grandmother is pretty crafty. She does a lot of knitting and whatnot, but I, you know, I didn't grow up and I also didn't have a lot of influences. Right. So I think some communities are real big on drama or, you know, they have really great theater programs and, you know, amazing jazz band. And yeah, we had some of those things, but it wasn't the focus. And I think people are kind of reeling that back in, assuming it can be affordable. When you said Arizona cut all of that, is that to stay or is that to be reevaluated? They haven't looked into it recently. Um, it could have changed, but I do know their teachers were striking a year or two ago. Their teachers were going on strike there for like underfunding. I mean, the starting salary in Arizona as a teacher is in the 20,000 range, which is just yeah. disgusting in my opinion. You'll get me going on a soapbox that I'm not going to go down. Yeah, I just, it it breaks my heart that art's one of the first things to go. It, it truly is, no matter the community, it truly is the reason why some kids get up and go to school every yep. day. I, I can't tell you how many kids I have come into my classroom and tell me that like you know my class is the class the reason why they didn't want to like come today or they had a dentist appointment they asked their mom to reschedule it so that they could miss a different class and not mine you know and that that's that's huge yeah it's huge for for, as a teacher you want to hear that yeah (laughs) and it's not even like about me I think the way that I try to run my art class is that I try to stress you know stress these kids that like Look, you don't have to like art, but like the one thing I want them to get out of my class is an appreciation for it and that you don't have to be good at it to enjoy something, you know? So, and I think, I think we're so caught up in teaching math and science and there's always a right answer. I think art to the arts in general can be, there's more than one right answer. And I think our community and country as a whole is lacking that right now. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. I've got a couple of more. This one's actually funny because you sort of alluded to this photography. Yep. So let's take wedding photography out of it because I do think that's always going to be necessary. And trust me, there are scales of photographers in that industry. And oh, we've, yeah. we've seen some very low end. It looked like I could have done it on an iPhone 4. <laughs> And we've seen some very high end, you know, it's way unaffordable Kardashian price range. Yep. That I think will always be in place. There's always yeah. going to be a need to capture big life events. Let's talk about photography as just an industry and a hobby, though. Do you think that it is something that we're going to see kind of slowly fizzle out as a profession? And the reason I say that is because cameras are getting better on our cell phones. Anyone can now buy a professional camera. Mm -hmm. Obviously, higher end you go, the more they cost. Yep. I remember as a kid getting together, sitting down in front of a photographer and getting the family photos every few years. And I don't know that people are doing that as often. So it's so funny. This is such a hard thing to go with. I think there's different kinds of photography. I think, oh man, where to even start with this? Photography is so different because when we were growing up and I think we truly were the last generation, like us as millennials are the last generation to have done this. We had film photography when we were growing up. Like there, I remember my dad, because my, you know, my dad like runs in his family. My dad's really into photography and he bought one of the first digital cameras ever. So it was a one megapixel digital camera and it took these awful pictures, but it was so cool that you didn't have to wait 24 hours or a week to get the pictures back. So I think 
in terms of fastness, it's like, it is like the fastest growing art because I mean, I have like 6,000 pictures on my phone right now. Mm -hmm. Like that's stupid. Like, why do I have that many pictures on my phone? It's like, it's become more of like, it's so ingrained in our society. The average person now sees more images in a day than they ever did in their entire lifetime. If you go back to like people that were growing up in like the thirties or forties, it's just crazy how, how oversaturated we are with pictures. I do think photography for advertising and fancy things like that is going to stay big. But I think in terms of hobby, I think it is going to go down. I think I am bearish and I think that people will, it will burn out. I think it's going to become too oversaturated and you're not going to to make money doing it as like a fine art. Yeah. And I I think that just with some of the tools, you know, Instagram, Facebook, you know, they they have really powerful opportunities to share your work, but it's so saturated. I mean, I don't even know how many millions of Instagram accounts there are. And I bet you- there's yeah. oh it's insane and everyone thinks they're a photographer now so yep. yeah that and, and i mean quite frankly we're walking around with really fancy phones in our hands and phones now cost well over a thousand dollars and have unbelievable cameras and i just went skiing in utah a couple of weeks ago and i couldn't believe the pictures that my camera was taking and the last time i'd gone skiing i had an older phone and the, it's night and day you know and yeah. that's just one generation so it's it, i i think that the cameras are getting better but we're also growing up in a world where the generation of today has had these phones since they were children. And I mean, I, I found a digital camera in my closet the other day <laughs> and a Nikon, you know, I, I don't know how many. Magn- like the cool pics or do you remember that, those? That's like- exactly what it was. Yes. And I remember that thing being actually kind of expensive. And, yeah. you know, now I, and you had to plug it into the computer. And, and I, I do think that it's unfortunately a, a dying art. A changing art. Is what there, that's with. a better way to put it. Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm a little nervous to say this one to you because I, I know that you're going to get a little fired up because my mom my mom was a teacher so i fully aware. Let's talk about teacher salaries. Are you bullish or bearish on those changing uh, let's say in the next five to ten years? I know there's been a lot of talk about salary reform. Obviously we're asking teachers to go to school. We're asking them to get master's degrees, come back and educate our youth, but then we pay them menial wages. And unfortunately, yeah. most of the teachers that I, I knew growing up had summer jobs or were lucky enough to be married to somebody that made enough money to support. But otherwise, it can be a challenging industry. Yeah, um, I think, okay, had you asked me this a year ago, right when the pandemic happened, I would have said, oh my gosh, like, I think teachers are going to get a raise a year ago. I was like, oh my God, teachers are amazing. Like they're doing so much from far away. Da, da, da. And then now it's like, you know, we're back to being like one of the most hated jobs. I think in Massachusetts, it's going to continue to rise. We're the highest paying state in the US for teachers. I make a very decent salary, but we are required to have a master's here within five years, which is pretty crazy. So I, in the next five or 10 years, I would hope they would go up, but you know, we're having a hard time even, I mean, I don't want to get too political, but you know, we're having a hard time even passing bills to like lower or to raise minimum wage. So how can I expect minimum wage to barely go up in the past couple of years and teacher? It's it's a it's a priority thing. And I think America has their priorities kind of backwards when it comes to education. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I think, you know, my mom, she she now works at a university, but she was the teacher while I was growing up and she was a special education teacher and had to get her master's and she did all of that. And it's still not a I hate to use the word livable because I think yep. livable is relative, but yes. grew up in Maine wasn't the most expensive place in the world to live but it's it's just very sad to think always say 
teachers jobs don't end at 245 or 230 no. what everyone says you know there's there's things that they have to do when they get home there's meetings after school they have to do lesson plans they have to be meeting with parents and there's a lot of extra things and that's unpaid and yeah. i know everyone says oh look they have summers off and yeah. you know most of them are working part-time jobs in the well, summer you don't get paid for i think this is another common misconception like i i every year you can pick how you want your paycheck and we only get paid for the 10 months that we're working. We don't get paid for those extra two months. And most teachers elect, like we have the option to have our pay divided up against like all 12 months or whatever, like every other week. My fiance's brother is a teacher in Connecticut. He's a PE teacher. And I know he gets his just like, he gets like a lump sum for the summer at the beginning of the summer. So you can kind of like elect how you think you can best spend your money. But I, yeah, I think it's a very common misconception that, you know, teachers get paid too much for what they do. And it's you, you try and drop anybody in a classroom and try and make them do what we do, especially middle school. <laughs> it yeah. is some of the things that I, I just can't believe, like some of the things that come out of my mouth to say to kids you know just it's bananas especially this year with having to teach online and impertinent oh man you want to you want to talk and get me fired up try teaching art oh <laughs> yeah oh geez i can only imagine well i commend you for it that's not easy okay so we're going to move on from that let's yep. t- talk a little bit about entrepreneurship if you want to motivate others that maybe are artists or maybe not even artists but they feel like they're artists because they're professionals in their craft right yeah and they are ready to take it to that next level what's the advice that you could give them I think you should have to go for it I think you have to really put yourself out and it's so funny because the reason why I went into art education was because I didn't want to freelance as a photographer because I didn't like the idea of hi my name's Lindsay Appleby and I want to put a photograph for you and like you know like getting up in people's faces and like over advertising myself and now here I am like 10 years later you know shoving my art down people's throats I I think you just have to kind of go for it and you have to really be I think it's a fine line between being pyramid schemey kind mm-hmm. of that kind of like like, Hey, how you doing? Like buy my thing versus this is my art and cra- you know, my craft that I'm doing. And I think there's a niche for it. And I think, I think you won't know unless you try. Luckily for me, mine was fairly cheap enough that I didn't have to sink a ton of money into it to find out. But I think there is a lot that you can lose money very easily trying to start your own business. And I think it's a fine line to walk. So I think if it's doable, you got to just go for it and you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I know that when we talk to a lot of people that are trying to grow a business or start a business, sometimes it's just taking the leap, right? And you can always fall back. And, and I think that common themes that we see are when people start something, they kind of do it as a side hustle and they maintain their current gig such as your teaching gig. Right. And, you know, it's extra work and you're adding to your plate. But if it's something that you love and you you can watch it grow, you know, then, then it makes it all worth it. Right. I did want to pop up the screen real quick because I want to pop over to your website just to kind of show some of the work that people are going to be able to look at. I will post this on YouTube eventually, but for those on the podcast, you can't see, just go to twocatsandabrush.com. Obviously, we've got some really intricate detail in some of this work here and and some great reviews and everything. But I just wanted to to kind of take a second to screen through these. I think this is so cool. Uh, it's really amazing. And as somebody who is not what I would consider artistic, this is just even more impressive to me. Look, there's yours. These are ours <laughs> right there. <laughs> oh, there's the ornaments. So I need to update this. I've done so many. Oh, that's the one. Okay. So the one on the left right there, that's the Australia one. 
Oh, oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. You can't even tell. You can't no. even tell. So cool. Do you get any random requests? Yeah. If you, I've done, um, somebody asked me to, this is very funny, but I actually love it. It's the kind of parent that I would be a friend of a friend of a friend, uh, reached out to me and asked if I took commissions. I said, yeah, like, what do you, you know, what are you looking for? And she wanted three separate paintings of champagne bottles from like different stages of her and her husband's life because they were decorating their baby nursery and as a celebration theme. She was like, so some people might think it's weird. We're hanging alcohol in our, in our nursery, but I actually think it's gonna look really cool so I like I did these really cool champagne bottle paintings um and they're hanging over a baby crib now which I think is hilarious and awesome at the same time it's just a very millennial thing that I just I just adore you have to love it <laughs> yeah that's probably the craziest thing I've you know most of the time. I still get asked to do pet portraits and most of them I say no to because I don't know. I, I find them not as fun anymore as the ring paintings, but sometimes if it's like, I just did a golden doodle the other week because it was too cute for me to say no to. It, yeah, I, I'm sure it's it's hard to say no. It is hard say. to say. I think that's another thing. So going back to like advice, it's I think my advice is say yes as much as you can, but it is okay to say no to things too. People definitely will try to take advantage of you when you're just, especially as an artist in general, people want you to do things for free all the time or for like 10 bucks. You know, it's a there's a fine line to walk and make sure you value yourself for what you're valued at. And it's hard to decide how much you're worth. Any plans to ever open up a physical storefront? It's so funny you ask that. So when you're asking me about like things I see in the future, every time I walk past like an empty, like a cute little shop somewhere, like um, we were in Connecticut over the weekend seeing my fiance's family. And there's just like all these like old buildings. And I'm like, oh my God, that would make such a cool little studio or something. But I think, yeah, eventually I think it would be cool. I don't know how the heck it would be. Um, I don't know who would go in and buy just like ring paintings. I think I'd have to like, oh, get bigger into my craft first but right now my main thing is we're hoping to buy a house within the next year or so and I am determined to have a my own studio separate from the house I really like that's my new thing is I want even if it's just a shed that I can like turn into my own space I really want like a studio just for me because right now I'm just like in like a room in our apartment and it's fine but I really think it's gonna be cool to like have my own space and like you know I have all these vision boards and everything already set for what I'm gonna have it look like (laughs) all right anything else that you want people to know about two cats and a brush or your business? I don't think so. I think just like check it out. I think a lot of people are surprised that this is a thing. I know my parents, I feel like it's it's a very generational thing to be into weddings like uh, the millennials are. My parents are so supportive and they're awesome, but they're, they don't get it. They just, they're like, <laughs> I don't understand why people are paying to have their rings painted. I don't know. Cause it's cool. Like, I just feel like we're so much more into like diamonds and ethically sourced diamonds and all these things, you know, people are getting much more personalized with everything. So check it out and see. And if you're a jeweler, let me know. Cause I want to partner with you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that this is a great gift for anyone that needs an idea for a wedding or Christmas or any other holiday birthday. I got one for my fiance and she absolutely loved it. So highly recommend go to twocatsandabrush.com. I will leave your social and all of your information in the description so that anyone can reach out to you. I would love to see your Instagram grow. How many followers do you have today? I'm almost at 1600. Let me see if I can pull up. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm like pretty proud of my, I was at a year, I've gotten over a thousand followers in a year. That sounds so lame, like compared to some of these other businesses. I'm at 1548 right now, 1548. So. Okay, not bad. So everyone uh, do me a favor, go to your Instagram account and follow two cats in a brush. And you can follow my podcast while you're there if you haven't done that yet. Need to, to help these small businesses grow. Please support a small business this year. It has been a very difficult year for a lot of people. Lindsay, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Very fun. This was another great interview right here on the Business of Business Finance Fundamentals interview series. I really hope you enjoyed the wedding series. More to come on the wedding series and a lot of great insightful interviews. And I really do want you all to check out the social media pages and websites of everyone that I interview within the wedding series. 
every single one of them has made an impact on my life and I really do enjoy working with all of them. Lindsay is incredibly hardworking and I really want to thank you all for listening to this episode. Check out her website, twocatsandabrush.com. Check out her Instagram. You have to go look at her artwork. It's, it's seriously impressive. Tell her I sent you. Together we'll own that road to financial freedom and I'm really glad you're joining me for it. I want to hear from you. Have a topic you'd like discussed? A suggestion? You can contact me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email, and more. Check out the description for my link tree. I look forward to hearing from you. The show is written and edited by me. Produced and edited by Daniel Rue. A lot of work goes into these episodes, and we really hope you enjoyed them.